ask you if you would, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. The Again, so thankful for our student choir, for our leadership and putting that together. What exciting way to get up and preach after them. I'm excited about uh, what God is doing. And as we turn to God's Word, we're going to continue in our series called Commission. Commissioned. Now the word commission means that we have been commanded to an action that has been assigned to us. We've been commanded to an action that has been assigned to us. So as a church, we've been commissioned. We've been given an action assigned to us. We started out with Matthew, where he commissioned us to make disciples. We then looked last week to Mark's gospel, where we are commissioned by Christ to go to all nations. And now, now we come to Luke's gospel, where we are commissioned to proclaim Jesus Christ. So let's read together Luke chapter 24, looking at verses 44 through 49, and uh, we'll see what some have called the Easter Sermon of Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday morning. This is that same Sunday evening. He's gathered together with his disciples, and Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ability and opportunity to worship you this morning, God, and we praise you for all of it. God, we ask now that you take your word and you apply it to our hearts and you mold us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, for your glory. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. I just can't believe it. I just can't believe it. I'm sure many of you have had that same experience before. And though you saw it with your own eyes, it just seems too amazing. Now I could probably lay out one of my own experiences here and just kind of demonstrate what I mean, but I think you understand when you see something so amazing, so glorious, our response is, I just can't believe it's true. Here, that's exactly what the disciples are dealing with. That's how they reacted. In our passage this morning, just a little bit before the part I read, Jesus had appeared to their disciples, the risen Savior, for the first time. And it says that they, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, that idea of they disbelieve for joy is them looking and saying, I can't believe this is true. And who could blame them? Who could blame them for what a week it had been? What a week the disciples had been through. Just one week before, they had entered into Jerusalem with Jesus while people are waving palm branches and, 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 and singing Hosanna. 
And then that week they spent this intensive time. John's gospel lays a lot of this out. An intensive time with Christ as he taught them from his word so closely as he pulled them in. And we see how he taught them that week and, and how he washed their feet and told them that, that he's going to prepare a place for them and, and they can't go with him, but he's the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the one, the way they'll get there. He told them about how he's going to send the Holy Spirit, how he, was the vine, uh, how he was the vine, and they are the branches. And without him, they could do nothing. He's going to send the Holy Spirit that was going to lead them and comfort them in all things. And then as they gathered that last night together, as they gathered that last night together, Jesus laid all of these things out and took the supper with them, broke bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Took the, the cup and said, this is my blood which is shed for you. And there they wept together and they rejoiced at all that was going on, marveling at what was happening. They watched Judas leave and then a little bit later that evening they saw him return back. This time with centurions. They saw Jesus praying in the garden and the blood coming from his pores over the stress of what's about to happen. They saw the centurions take him away. They fled with him. And then from a distance, having fled and run to get away themselves, from a distance they watched this mockery of a trial. A mockery of a trial where they see Jesus not defending himself and not saying a word before Caiaphas. They see Jesus taken before Pilate and Pilate washing his hands of it, saying, I don't know what to do. They see Jesus brought before the people and the people screamed, give me Barabbas, crucify him. They watched as Pilate was hoping that he could appease them and he sent Jesus off to be beaten, be beaten within an inch of his life. They watched as he goes to the cross they watched as he died there. And don't forget what happened during that time. The sky went dark. The earth shook. The rock split in two. Even the dead came up from the tombs, the Scripture says. They watched all of this happen before them. And then they watched him be taken down and put in a tomb and sealed. And then, trying to figure out what all's going on and how to process all of this, Sunday morning happened. And the ladies go there first and they report back, he's not in there. And Peter and John go there next to look and see and report back, he's not in there. The ladies come back and they say, hey, we had this encounter with what we thought was the gardener, but we think it may be Jesus. And then we see this passage where two disciples, discouraged, are walking away on the road to Emmaus and Jesus shows up beside them and told them everything in the Scriptures concerning Himself. And when they see and know it's Christ, then He disappears. And now all of them, the text tells us, all of them had gathered back together that evening. They'd all come into one place again and they're sharing these stories. What a week it has been. Could it be true? Could it be possible? All that we've seen, all that we heard, could it be true that Jesus is alive? And then in the midst of that time, in the midst of that moment, Jesus shows up. And his first words to his disciples meant so much to them. All of the turmoil of the week, all that had happened, all that had gone on, even them forsaking Jesus at his weakest moment, Jesus comes in and says, peace. Peace, be still. Jesus comforts them with his first words. There in their midst. Now you need to understand, 
I believe Jesus is giving them comfort. But I also believe Jesus is testifying to something even greater. In the Old Testament, whenever the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, he would offer up sacrifice on behalf of the people. And if that sacrifice was accepted by God, the high priest would come out. If it wasn't accepted, he would die there. If it was accepted, the high priest would come out and with all of God's people standing around, he would say to the people, peace, it's been accepted. Now here's our great high priest, having entered into the Holy of Holies, not made by hands, right? Having entered into the Holy of Holies, not here on this earth, but the Holy of Holies that is in heaven, the very presence of God, and having taken his own precious blood, the blood of the spotless, perfect lamb, and sprinkled it on the altar that is in heaven, not some earthly altar made by man, but the altar that is in heaven, and God having accepted that sacrifice, here comes our high priest back out to his people, and he says, peace, peace be still. Not only Not only is Christ comforting them in this great time of turmoil, he is letting them know it is complete. The work has been done. It is finished. And the one standing before them is not some some just simple man that has come down with some sense of authority. The one standing before them is not somebody who's usurped any power whatsoever. The one standing before them is the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. And as he comes here, we need to recognize that that's who's commissioning them to do something. This isn't just some regular somebody. This isn't just some ordinary body that's been given some appointment by man whatsoever. This is the King of Kings. This is the Son of God. This is our resurrected Savior. This is the one who died in their place and rose again. And this is the one who holds life in his hands. And he comes back and he says, here's what I want you to do, brothers. Here's what I want you to do. When we talk about being commissioned, we're not talking about what, God, what man has ordered us to do. We're talking about what God has called us to be. And here Jesus steps up as the stories have stopped and now everything they had hoped for has been realized. Granted, he's not quite ascended to heaven yet. He's still on earth. If he was in heaven, we know it would have been fried fish he asked for, not broiled fish. It's a joke. Y'all will get it later. But here he's gathered together. He's gathered together and he is going to commission them. What follows, I believe, is going to be the Easter sermon of Jesus Christ. And what is it that he wants us to do? What is he calling us to do? That's what we want to look at this morning. What is it that we need to proclaim? Jesus says there's three things. Here's what I want you to do. The resurrected Savior. What we proclaim first is the Bible itself. What we proclaim is God's Word, Jesus says. He looks at them and having uh, come and said, peace be to you, and they kind of do their deal and they recognize what's going on. Jesus says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It would be easy for Jesus or it would be easy for the disciples to have based their faith simply on their personal experience, right? Let me tell you about what happened to me. I was standing in this room. Jesus appeared. I saw it just simply on their personal experience. I mean, my goodness, Jesus, the resurrected Savior, was standing before them, and they just watched him die. And now he's alive. 
Their personal experience was strong. Their personal testimony was powerful. But their personal experience and testimony must, as Jesus is going to tell them, must be grounded in the massive amount of testimony that is found for centuries in God's Word. The foundation of the truth of the resurrection was found in God's word. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Here he he looks to the Old Testament and he uses the three parts of the Old Testament to prove this. Now he says first, the law. He says, I want you to know that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the law of Moses, the first five books, the Pentateuch, the book of five, if you will, the book of the law, He says, I want you to know we're going to start there. Those first five books, Moses is writing about me, Jesus says in John chapter 5. Just go ahead and let me tip you off something real quick, help help you understand. There's a lot of people out there that want you to believe that somebody else wrote this part of the Bible, right? Maybe somebody else came together. Surely Moses didn't write the first five books. Maybe it was pieced together in other ways. And you can read commentary after commentary that'll make that suggestion. I want you to know today, Jesus said Moses wrote it, and that's good enough enough for me. Jesus says Moses wrote, so I'm not going to sit here today and call Jesus a liar. He knows better than me. And so Jesus says Moses wrote those first five books and that is about me. Then he says, not only that, there's the prophets. Now in the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, you have the law and the prophets next and then the writings, if you will. Our Bible sets it up a little bit differently. You have the law and then the writings and the prophets come to an end. But in the Hebrew Bible, Jesus is referring to here the same Old Testament, just a different order of the books. He says, first you got the law of Moses, it's about me. Then you have the prophets, the prophets in the Hebrew Bible, the major and the minor prophets. Jesus says, in them as well. Then you have the Psalms, the Psalms being the largest book in the Old Testament, the hymn book of of the Israelites. And all of the writings, all of the wisdom literature, like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and others, they kind of lump in there with the Psalms. What Jesus is saying is, He's referring to the whole Old Testament. You need to know everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Like he did on the road to Emmaus when these disciples were with him over in the first part of chapter 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He began with Moses, he walked through the Old Testament, and he demonstrated all of the promises, all of the things that are about him, all of it is pointing to him. Jesus' whole ministry was built upon the Word of God. Jesus' whole ministry was built upon God's Word. He quoted from every section of the Old Testament. As one commentator has stated, the life of Jesus was governed by the prophecies and promises of the Word of God. In order for God to fulfill His plan, and in order for us to be saved, Jesus had to come into the world the way He did, live the way He lived, die the way He died, and rise again the way He rose again. It all had to happen the way the Bible said it had to happen. And it did. And Jesus is saying what's in the Law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And him standing before them this evening, what he's saying is, here I am. It's all true. It's all true. We don't proclaim our opinion. We don't simply offer up the newest trend that we could offer. We don't simply stand here in this 
pulpit on, from this stage and offer any sociological idea or any self-help plan. I am not here this morning to give you a pep talk. I'm here this morning to proclaim Christ Jesus from every page, from every verse, from every part of Scripture, every bit of it. Jesus depends upon it. And what you'll know and what I can promise you is that when I step into this pulpit and anyone else does, the first words that we will say, if not the first sentence, will be, please open your Bibles. As we look to God's word together. That's what we've been called to do. For it's God's word that is truth. And it's God's word that is filled with everything we need. And it's God's word that changes hearts. And it's God's word that brings to life what is dead. It's God's word that does that. And if you're here this morning and you believe in Jesus Christ, it's because you heard God's word proclaimed. And by no means do we dare think that we could offer up anything else in its place. It's foolishness. So we open God's word together. I didn't learn that from the pastors in my life that have gone on before me. I'm not following the example of my father or my grandfather or some great preacher in this. I'm following the example of Christ Jesus, our Savior. And when he preaches, he says, let me tell you about what the book of the law of Moses said and the prophets and the Psalms. Let me tell you what God's word says. And if it's good enough for Christ, then by all means, it's good enough for us. We proclaim God's word. But not only that, the question may come, how do we understand it? How do you understand God's word? Well, what we proclaim is, not, is, is God's word, and what we proclaim is Christ Jesus, my second point. What we proclaim is Christ. The Bible is one book. Many people look at it and they see it as 66 books kind of collected and put together, but this is not like the works of Mark Twain or anything like that. This is not some collection you put on yourself. This is one book. This is one book that has been written by 40 different authors. 66 books put together, 40 different authors, over 1,400 years. This is one book that's telling one story from beginning to end. And it has ultimately one author. Though it has 40 different authors here on, on earth, and though it has been put together over 1,400 years, it really has one author because the Bible testifies itself that all of this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so from the beginning to the end, through those 40 human authors, the inspiration of the Spirit has worked to bring about God's perfect word for us. One book with one author, and it's got one subject. And that's the redemption of God's people through His Son, Jesus Christ. And notice how Luke helps us here. Notice what Luke does. If you read here, you gotta, you got to pick this out, because verse 45 is an interpretive key for us. Verse 45 is interpretive key. It says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Isn't that what we want? We want to understand God's word. And what's the key in understanding God's word? If you look back in chapter 24, verse 27, there on the road to Emmaus, Luke helps us again. He says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That word interpreted is the Greek word hermeneo. It's a word that we get hermeneutics from. If you study in seminary or, or any other place, you may have heard that word hermeneutics around. The word hermeneutics just transliterated, transcribed over, simply means to interpret, to understand and interpret the scriptures. 
And so here, that's exactly what we're doing. We're seeking to understand and interpret the scriptures. And the principle by which we understand all of scripture is Jesus Christ. Christ is the center of all of it. That's why he says in verse 46 and 47, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. He went through Moses, he went through the prophets, he went through the Psalms and he says, here's what it's telling you, that the Christ would come, suffer, die, and on the third day be raised and repentance should be proclaimed in his name. In other words, the interpretive principle of all of the scripture is Jesus Christ himself. We understand God's word through Christ Jesus. That means when we teach the Bible, when we proclaim God's word, we must begin and end with Jesus. We don't teach a bunch of moral stories from God's word. In other words, when you look at the Old Testament, we don't teach it just simply like a Hebrew rabbi would teach it. We don't look at it and go, you see Moses, be like Moses. Because Moses failed and he was disobedient. He didn't go into the promised land. We don't look at it and go, see David, be like David. Because we understand David, as noble and as heroic as he was, sinned and failed against God. We don't look at it and say, see Solomon and all his wisdom, be like Solomon. We don't look at that. We look for one greater than Moses, and we look for one greater than David, and we look for one greater than Solomon, the one who would come to be our deliverer, not out of bondage in Egypt, but out of sin and death and deliver us from that sin. Deliver us from that slavery. We look to the one who's not just noble and heroic on a day in a hill with a giant. We look to the one who killed our enemy that we could not kill. Sin and death itself and slayed him, chopped his head off and said, life has come. We look to Christ who's greater than David. We don't look to Solomon for our wisdom. We look to the one who did not make a fool of himself because we know Solomon in all of his wisdom still fell in the most foolish of ways. We look to the one who never failed us who always did exactly what was right. We look to the one greater than Moses, greater than David, greater than Solomon. All of Scripture is telling us, look to Christ. Moses is pointing there. David is pointing there. Solomon is pointing there. I want to say one more thing. I didn't get in trouble in the first service, so I'll continue. We don't just understand the Bible literally. Hear me when I say this. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes and he says what? He says, what must I do to be born again? Be saved. Jesus says, you must be born again. How do I do that? I can't enter into my mother's womb again. In other words, Nicodemus was understanding Jesus literally. It's not what Jesus meant. He can't say in John chapter 4, whenever he comes to the woman at the well, and he says, if you knew who I am, you would ask me for a drink. And she looks at him and says, you don't even have a pail. She was understanding him literally. You see, what Jesus is saying here is not literally you've got to be born again physically. What he's saying is your old dead heart has to be made alive, and only Christ can do that. What he's saying is you don't just drink this water one time and never drink again. He's saying Christ Jesus is the water that you will never thirst again, and you will be satisfied forever. You see, you understand it not just literally here, but in Christ. We interpret everything through him. If everything in the universe is from him, through him, and to him, and everything in the universe finds its meaning in him, then surely every verse finds its meaning in him as well. I once had a professor that told me, Josh, you, you may find Jesus too much in the Bible. 
You're working too hard to find Jesus too much. And here's my response. I thought it was pretty witty, so I'll share it with you. I said, look, when I get to heaven and I meet my Savior face to face, I do not think he's going to say, Josh, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope he says that. I don't think he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, but you preached me too much from the Bible but you found me in too many places from the Bible. I'm going to go ahead and let y'all know if I make a mistake, it's going to be making a mistake proclaiming Jesus in him and all. From every verse, from every page, from every place, all of it points us to Christ. And I promise you, I promise you, I don't think Jesus is upset with that. Because I know the truth that when he is lifted high, he'll draw all men to himself. So my responsibility standing here today is to do nothing but proclaim and lift Jesus high. And Jesus has already given me the license for this because he says everything in the Bible is about me, he says. So every sermon is a Jesus sandwich, if you will. As we feast upon who he is and what he's done for us. And we look to his glory and proclaim it alone. As the Apostle Paul says, considering how he preaches, he says, I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified from every place, always and forever. And so it shall be for us. So it shall be for us. Not only that, we preach the Bible. We preach Jesus. We proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. We must proclaim God's word with Jesus at the center and the gospel at, as the call. Look at what he says. He says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Jesus here gives the heart of the gospel for us. Everything in the Old Testament from Moses and, and to, the, to the prophets, to the writings, everything is a part of God's plan. Everything demonstrates God's purpose to bring salvation and redemption to all that believe. And why at salvation and redemption is found in Jesus Christ. And how can you believe as we're standing here and these disciples are, are witnessing Jesus and he grounds everything they know in God's word and he says, it's all about me. And now what must you do? You must go and proclaim it. We are here today because saints for centuries have been proclaiming the gospel over and over and over again. And we will know that from us, there's coming a day, if Jesus tarries, that none of us will be in this room. We'll all be dead and gone with him. But we must make sure from us and continue the legacy here and forward that Jesus Christ is proclaimed and the gospel goes out. What I want to do is proclaim that to you today. Proclaim the gospel here. For you see, there's a holy God who made everything out of nothing. And that holy God who made it all, fashioned it all out of nothing, spoke it into existence. He's the one who set up the rules. He gets to establish how we live. He gets to tell us what is expected of us. For he's the one who made us out of dirt, breathed his own breath in us. So therefore, we are his and we belong to him. And he gets to tell us, here's what I expect from you. But instead of following him, instead of following him, we have rebelled. We've turned away from him. We sinned against him. And because of our sins, we're under judgment. Because of our sins and our rebellion, we're under his, not his blessing, but judgment. And he tells us, 
that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and the wages of that sin is death. And now because of your rebellion and your sin, you're under God's judgment and death. There's nothing we can do. No help or no hope, because we have no power in and of ourselves to save ourselves. But God came to us. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, doing what we could not do in our place. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to go to a cross, and there on the cross he took our sin, and he took our rebellion, and he took the wrath and judgment that we deserved, and he placed it upon Jesus Christ. And there on the cross, Jesus drank it all so that there is none left for us whatsoever. There on the cross, Jesus took our sin, he took our shame, he took death, and he he crushed it, chewed it up, and spit it out. It has no power over us at all. And what I'm telling you today is that what Jesus says we must proclaim is this truth from God's word, that Jesus is king and Lord, and he's conquered death, and he's conquered sin. And today he says this, repent, believe. You want to know what it means to believe what it means to believe is you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You recognize you have no power to save yourself. You recognize you're completely and utterly dependent upon him. And you place your faith in who he is and what he has done. You turn from your sins. That's what repentance means. Let us not forget that word. Let us not overlook that word. It's right here in the text itself. Jesus says, while we were in our sin, we must turn from it. Believe in him by faith and repentance. Turn from our sin. Turn away from it and give our life to him. Brothers and sisters, you need to know your sins can be forgiven. You need to know that everlasting life can be yours. You need to know that the guilt and shame you are carrying has already the heavier end been toted by Christ himself. You need to know that you can lose it all today by trusting in the one who gives you life and you will never thirst again because you will be satisfied forever. And I'm sure there are countless saints in this room that can bear testimony to that. But I'm also sure, I'm also sure that there may be some here today who have not believed in Christ. For whatever reason, you still think you can do this on your own. For whatever reason, you still think you can overcome. For whatever reason, you still think you can find satisfaction in this world. And I want you to know that that is the most foolish thing you can believe. For God's word has said it's only in Christ. But he is not far from you. In fact, it says he's present with us even now when we gather together as his people. In fact, he's closer to you than your very fingertips. All you have to do is call upon him. All you have to do is cry out to him. All you have to do is call the name of Christ and he's here. You can find joy. You can find happiness. You can find peace that he offers and nobody else does. You can find satisfaction this morning. That's what we proclaim. That's what we proclaim I just can't believe it, Josh. Now you understand where the disciples were coming from. I can't either. I can't believe that God would love a sinner like me. I can't believe that he would come and send his own son to die for me. I can't believe that he would give his life on my behalf. I just can't believe it. But it's true. And he's good and he's gracious to us. 
And Jesus has done all of that. So all that's left for us is to trust in him. All that's left for us is to believe in him. All that's left for us is to proclaim him. God is good in this. And Christ is sufficient and he's enough. I'm amazed by it as well. But it is true. And my life, along with God's word, is a testimony to that fact. The whole word of God testifies to it. Hosea chapter 6 always strikes me. You don't have to turn there. Hear the words of the prophet when he says, see if you don't hear Christ in this, brothers and sisters. Hear the invitation offered to us. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down and He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, amen, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. It is sure he will come. So he says, come to him. And I offer you that same invitation. Come to Christ today. Maybe it's the first time for you. Maybe it's the first time you've heard this good news. Maybe it's the first time you've heard it. Maybe you've heard it over and over again, but for some reason you haven't believed. For some reason you haven't trusted. Follow Christ today. Call upon him. Turn your heart toward him and you will not be disappointed. Maybe you need to follow him in baptism and obedience and let the whole world know you are his. Maybe you need to follow him in baptism to let everybody know that Christ is yours and you are his and you belong to him. Maybe that's the move you need to make. Maybe this morning you're far from God. This past year has been difficult, and maybe as this year has gone, you have slipped further and further away. Today, give yourself a fresh start with Christ. Know that his arms are open wide, ready to receive you at all times. At the beginning of this service, you saw how we had so many joining us and church members, and we praise God for that. You need to know as a church, we are committed to proclaiming this truth until Jesus returns. As a church, we're committed to proclaiming this good news of Christ Jesus. We're committed to proclaiming his word with Jesus at the center. We're committed unto this until he returns. And maybe today you want to join us in this effort. Maybe today you're looking to join and be a part of a body that, that proclaims Christ unashamedly. Maybe today you're looking to join and be a part of a body that, that does everything with this understanding and this truth. Today's the day you should join us and be a part of it. We're getting ready to sing. We're getting ready to sing Jesus Paid It All, my favorite, by the way. I ask Kevin to sing it every week. Well, I get like once every six months, probably. What truth rings out? All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I pray that as you sing this, it's not just something you stand up at the end of the service and do. I pray this is your testimony. For in Christ, in Christ, you'll find this satisfaction. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us, God, to depend upon you. Father, if someone is here that doesn't know you, God, may this morning be the morning. May this time be the time 
God, if someone is here and has followed you, but they don't feel like their home, may this be their home. God, if someone's here is distant from you, may today be a fresh and new start for them in Christ. God, help us as we sing this song to sing it as a testimony of our heart. We thank you for this time.